Hello, Mark. Joe, I have a question, of course. You would think that by now I would be expecting those questions. Yes, but... I, I, I seem to hit you by total surprise every single time. So I think <laughs> this might help okay. uh, and be connected to our guests. So what piece of technology really frightens you? <laughs> technology frightening me. Are you kidding? <laughs> Let's see. I don't, you know, the first thing to come to mind is bungee jumping, but that's not really that's technology, tech, that's a, is it? That's a technology. There's Because yeah. I just saw a video of some guy where it snapped. Uh-huh. And then he hit the water and his feet were like still tied to the and but fortunately he could swim. So that kind of frightens me. But that's not the kind of technology you're talking about. Well, it's, it's I think that applies. I mean, uh, you you definitely don't want to lie about your weight when they ask you how much you weigh. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the time. Well, I'll tell you a little story about technology. I went to Ryerson Polytechnical University and I was taking at radio and television arts. So there's lots of technology involved. And I was the kind of guy up to that point where I had worked at a radio station before then. And I would have the guy before me who worked the shift before me, who just happened to be James Murray, who also works at the, the CBC. I'd get him to queue up the real to reels for me because I was afraid to, I was afraid of the, the real to reels. So you're and, afraid of your fingers getting caught and I just cut off or do it. It, it seemed like too, <laughs> complicated and i was like i was 16 at the time when i started yeah so i would say jim could you he'd be yeah sure whatever you know i'm gonna go much farther in my career i can see than you are and it was true <laughs> we could tell that right back at the the real to real stage but at university or the polytechnical institute as it was called at the time well now it's a completely different name toronto metropolitan university but anyway i decided i was no longer going to be afraid of technology and i never have been since and how about our guest, Benoit? No technology really scares me, but uh, certain technology really annoys me. Ah. ah, okay. So what annoys you? Uh, right now, it's the it's the, the technology du jour. It's AI. Oh. The bro AI, you mean? Well, the basically <laughs> the, the chat GPT slash, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, the AI that nobody wants or needs. Yeah, basically the stuff that's uh, that's trying to replace my writing career with uh, uh, really dull, middle-of-the-road stuff. Yeah. <laughs> now, this wasn't supposed to be a gotcha, but I'm surprised that neither of you are afraid of nuclear weapons. Nope. Wow. Well, I guess I, I instantly went to like technology that I have to use, and I, uh, I don't typically I... have to use nuclear weapons. So. <laughs> okay, here's a question. Because you mentioned chat GPT, and I know a lot of people are up in arms against chat GPT, yeah. but... Do you guys not think that if it's used as a tool, you know, like other technology, that maybe it isn't so scary after all? Well, what I was thinking was uh, it, it is a tool and everything that we use are tools. It's just that for me, it like I said, I'm not afraid of it. It's just really annoying because I'm an indie author and the field is already fairly packed, you know, shoulder to shoulder indie authors. Mm. And that's great. But now anybody with a prompt can throw a veritable tsunami of, of more stuff on the market. And so it's not so much that I'm afraid of it. It's like, great, now we have to contend with this assault of, of really kind of mediocre stuff that's going to be coming on to us kind of thing. Well, and do you, do you think the publishers will actually accept that mediocre stuff? But they don't need to. That's the thing. If you're if you're an indie published person, you don't need to go through a publisher. You just 
uh, create a cover using mid-journey or stable diffusion and you give a prompt to the computer, say, write me a 300-page novel on this topic and then upload it to Amazon, you can you just bypass the publisher entirely. And that's that's the problem to me is that like if if that's not kind of curbed, then there is going to be a full frontal assault of like millions of millions of titles and you basically your stuff gets drowned out and it'll look great and and if you don't have to declare well this is written by an ai then you know you you you're even more lost in the sea than than you may have been in the past there's only one way you're wrong you'll be even more drowned out Yes, right. Because yeah. I would argue that that's kind of already happening. In oh the yeah, but that's what there's I'm lots, saying. Like, there's lots of people that aren't even using AI yet, and there's just lots of garbage. No, no, absolutely. That's uploaded. what I'm saying. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. even now, there's like fourteen thousand books coming out every year from everybody. But you know, I've I've already seen the TikToks of people saying, "This is how to write a book, guys. We're using these two different AIs." And you can write a thousand a day, and I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> it takes thirty seconds. <laughs> like, what's the fun in that? That's not. It's not Seriously. the fun though. It's yeah. it's it's a it's a it's a grift. That's all it is. Yeah, that's yeah. That there's no fun in it. There's no, I mean, if you're a writer, you're a writer, and it's in your bones, and you have to write. If you're if yeah. you're using an AI to write a thousand books a day, there's no fun in that. It's not for wow. the fun. Do you think it's possible, though, just to play devil's advocate, that eventually AI technology will get so good and produce such good entertaining art that we'll all be just like, I oh, screw it. You know what? This is good. Let's just sit back and enjoy. Well, how are we going to make our money? <laughs> I, I'm just <laughs> questioning what happens to the human spirit at that point. Yeah. yeah. When, well, when... we'll need the, the technology created uh, entertainment to basically <laughs> keep us from killing ourselves. Uh. Yeah. Oh boy, that's bleak. This has got real dark. This got real dark, real and it fast. should. I mean, this is real talk, right? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Actually, it really is real talk. I mean, I've I'm uh, I'm querying again. So um, I've even seen amongst agents saying no AI generated letters. I'm like, oh my god, why would you do that? Like, it's just so stupid. <laughs> there's a there's a couple of uh, magazines like Analog and and Asimov that they've stopped taking sub, uh, submissions exactly because of this because they were flooded overnight. Yeah. With exactly what I was telling you, and I mean for now, AI may get good, but it's not creative. It's just basically stealing bits and pieces, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's not yeah. creating anything new. It's taking things that we think we might enjoy from a whole bunch of different places and reorganizing them to make something quote unquote new, but it's not. And I mean, the more it produces, the more it becomes middle of the road. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it basically evens itself out. The best that's going to happen is it's going to be derivative. And I think the best, the best headline I've seen about this is that they describe this kind of AI as a blurry JPEG of the internet. <laughs> You know, yeah, basically. it's basically all it's doing. It's using yeah. that as its data set. And it's largely because garbage. I was thinking that, you know, maybe it was analogous to the automobile taking the place of the horse and carriage, but it isn't really analogous, no. is it? Because the horse and carriage can get you from point A to point B. But in this case, the chat GPT, it's not actually getting it to point B, is it? No, yeah. not yet. 
Not yet. Well, yeah. Right now they say that its its IQ is approximately 87, and it's already doing some amazing stuff. And I mean, I have friends who use it to uh, to help code. You know, if mm-hmm. it just yeah. you tell it, hey, find the error in my code, and that's great. Like I said, it's it can be a great tool. Find the errors that I made in my code, so it'll reference the stuff and find the errors. It can run stuff really easily, so that you don't have to do the drudgery. It's like it's kind of like having a, a a dishwasher or a washing machine instead of doing you know everything by hand for computers, which can be great. But when it comes to creative stuff, it's really annoying for people who have like studied for years to become you know creatives, and then all of a sudden their stuff gets stolen to entertain people who who don't really care, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I would love to have a, a visual artist on the on the uh, show who has had some of their stuff essentially stolen by the AIs for their data any sets, right? Yeah, like any of them, because there's lots of people out there, and in fact, they're they're actively fighting the robots, yep. which is interesting. But I will say this: those things mastered hands very quickly. Yes. Like at first, it was a real joke how badly they did on hands, but now they can do hands, and that's what. Like less than a year. Yeah, this is version five of Mid Journey for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty scary how fast it goes. I dared them to produce a podcast as good as this one. <laughs> Give it three months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Except they'll all talk like this. <laughs> That's right. Okay, uh, you mentioned uh, creativity and. I think uh, maybe that's a good segue into what it is that we've invited you to talk about, which is uh, to choose a piece of art or creativity and how it inspires you. Okay. So, I mean, one of the things that influenced me the most when I was younger that really sort of veered me towards science fiction, which is what I write, was uh, Akira by Katsuhiro Otomo, who is a Japanese uh, mangaka. He's an illustrator. He... I mean, he wrote and he illustrated the his entire series, and it's he it's it's basically one of the most held up classic mangas in Japan, and even the the animation uh, that was made is still held up as being one of the best and still most artfully produced animes from the book. I mean, it's fairly true to the original story. Uh, not entirely true to it because it's a six-volume bricks, uh, but the uh, the movie is is absolutely gorgeous, and uh, it's dystopian, it's cyberpunk in the true sense of the word. Um, I did not discover it. My mother actually put this in my hands. Uh, she's a huge comic book fan, but she is more into BD, which is the uh, the European form of uh, comics. So. Lucky Luke, you may know Tintin, Asterix and Obelix, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, she's got shelves at home, and that's what I was immersed in when I was a kid. And we used to travel. I come from Winnipeg, and we used to travel to Quebec to see family, and she would buy us entertainment for the road. And she put this in my hands, not knowing that it's not for children. (laughs) (laughs) I made that mistake with my with one of my nephews. I gave him Sandman oh, uh, boy. before reading it. <laughs> yeah. How old was he? And is he as he is he uh, okay? Is he recovered? <laughs> he was like nine or ten oh or gosh. so. Then I went out and bought it and and read it, and then instantly phoned my sister and said, "Wait, wait!" <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
No wonder she doesn't want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. But now I realize that uh, Chat GPT actually could do a better podcast than this because we've screwed up the order, Mark. No, uh, I, no I, knew, I knew we missed something, but that's okay. We missed the part where we ask you to introduce yourself, Benoit. Oh. <laughs> uh, what do you do? Why do you like to do it? That kind of thing. But I'm just some guy off the street. Uh, I just walked in. <laughs> we couldn't get a guest. <laughs> hey, you, come yeah. here. What? I will Sorry, give you coffee and a donut. Okay. So yeah, but you're our writer. You're uh, a Canadian yeah. science fiction writer, and you're from Quebec originally. Is that correct? Well, so uh, all roundabout, uh, I was born in Ontario. I moved to uh, Manitoba when I was seven, following my my father because he used to work for the uh, National Research Council. I uh, moved to Quebec because most of my family uh, is from here originally. Uh, when I was in my 20s, and I've sort of been hanging about here ever since. And uh, I like uh, I like Quebec actually. I love I love the province. I love the people, and uh, yeah, it's a great place. And you are bilingual. I am bilingual. Yeah, uh, I, so I do. I have a question that relates to the Asterix and Obelix sure. books, which is: Are the puns as good in French as they are in English? You know, I've never read it in English. Oh, interesting. Huh. I've always well, read it. When I when I read something, since I am bilingual, I try to read sure. it in the original language because well, some yeah. things never translate well. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm always amazed. I read those books and they are, they were, they're hilarious. Mm. They're hilarious as a kid and then they're even really very much funnier as adults. And I, I always think these puns are so good in English. They must just like melt your face in French. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, they're they're amazing in French, but like I said, unfortunately, I tend to stick to the the original language for whatever I read as much as I can. Oh, why not? I mean, yeah, yeah. if you can, why not? Right? You can. Yeah. And now, was uh, one of your parents from France or Belgian? No, no. Mm. Uh, both my parents are Quebecois. Uh, it's just, I guess, at some point in time, I mean, they really love their their comics, and I mean, in Quebecois culture. Comics are more of the European variety than the American variety, just because they're usually from Belgium or France. You know, you'll get a lot more of the the styles that I I, I mentioned before than you know Avengers or X Men or that sort of stuff in Quebec, and it's usually you know hard hardcover books. Yeah, it's a it's a totally different style, mm-hmm. and large format too. Yeah, large format. Like I have a lot of them on my shelf as well. I really enjoy them. Have you ever written uh, comics or graphic novels? No, no. I mean, I I've never um, I've never done anything illustrated. I mean, I have a kids book, but it's illustrated by a gentleman in Spain. That was kind of on a lark. I wanted to try my hand at a kids book. It's called The Booger Hunter's Apprentice. <laughs> <laughs> and how'd the, how'd that go? I uh, parents hate it. <laughs> oh. so successful i'm kidding i'm kidding no I, it's kind of it's kind of half and half like when i do comic cons parents love it when i do a parent oriented show they kind of look at me suspiciously and walk by and hold their children closer kind of <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so tell us briefly about your other work sure yeah my uh my science fiction series is called the spectrum series my wife is Japanese, and so we we spent some time living in Japan, and I go back every year. And so when I was living over there for about a year and a half when we first met, 
I was living in a small village uh, where she comes from, and I didn't have a whole lot of people to talk to because my Japanese, let's face it, was pretty terrible. And so I, I started writing stories to get my, my feelings out. And uh, every day I would go down the mountain, Irohazaka, uh, 19 hairpin turns, and then drive half an hour into town down the Royal Road, and I would create all these stories at 7 a.m., and then I would get home after work, and then I would type them all up, and that's what kind of gave me the, the, the courage to attempt a full-length full novel, and uh, that's how I started my, my series. It takes place 300 years in the future in the vertical city of Tokyo, and all of Japan lives in it, 180 million people, and uh, the, the city is basically the main character, uh, and it follows the adventures of various people. Who, uh, who are living in it. So that's it. And what happens to the rest of Japan? Uh, it's, you know, mostly underwater. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And that's <laughs> basically that. what happened to the most of the world. Yeah. So we're, we're living in a, in a phase where the waters are starting to recede slowly in the rest of the world, but everybody's like survival mode for the most of the world, except for Africa and, and Japan. Cool. Yeah. They sound good. And how many are out of those? Uh, there are three books in the series. There's uh, Red Nexus, Blue Node, and Green Matrix. And Gre uh, Green Matrix came out uh, in November of last year. And now I'm starting to write the outline for uh, Yellow Core, which will be, I'm hoping, out next year. Cool. Okay, so now back to your, your choice. Sure. For when, when did that movie come out? 1988, I believe. And it still holds up. I just watched it just recently. Oh, yeah, for the first time. Uh, yes, it was. It was for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Akira is still considered one of like one of the best masterpieces of animation that was ever made uh, from Japan. Like it's just absolutely gorgeous. You could frame every single frame of of that movie t and and put it on your wall. It's so beautiful, you know. And now, so can you recap the story for? Uh, well, our, I mean, in in true cyberpunk fashion. So there's like the, the the powers that be, the syndicates and things like that. But that it's it's more of a government thing actually in this story instead of syndicates and and uh, corporations. So it's the story of two teenage boys who go to this school for orphans, I guess. And uh, there's a huge poverty problem, and uh, they're both bikers. They Canada is the leader of a biker gang, and he has an amazing motorcycle. Tetsuo Shima is his uh, his sidekick, if you will, and he's kind of living in his shadow. And uh, they they drive off uh, one time into uh, this area that's being reconstructed for the upcoming, I believe it was 2022 Olympics or something like that. <laughs> uh, and uh, so that's where a, uh, a nuclear bomb was detonated way back in the day. And this is 30 years after that event. And so they they go onto this uh, abandoned highway. They stop there. And then this sort of weird small child appears out of nowhere. Basically, there's an accident. And uh, Tetsuo is taken away by the army because he, he gets something happens to him. He gets taken away by the army. And it's discovered that he's got these sort of really bizarre mental powers and uh, it's all due to uh, the massive amounts of drugs that they do. 
So, um, yeah, Kaneda uh, spends the rest of the movie, first of all, trying to find his friend. There is some sort of faction, uh, this, uh, you know, revolutionary faction go going against the government uh, that comes into play as well. There's protests in the second half of the movie. Stuff happens and Tetsuo's power come into their own and uh, it, it just goes ballistic. So, yeah. Have you seen it, Mark? Yes, I have. Uh, I was. You're describing. I'm going. Hmm, wait a minute. I've seen this movie. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was thinking. I was about to say. I think. I don't think I've seen this because it was only recently. It was only like within the last two years yeah. that I finally saw Howell's Moving Castle. Okay. So yeah, I'm way behind on uh, manga. Basically, that's where I come from. I was going to say we have to introduce you to our, our former guest, uh, Tim Blackmore, because I know for a fact this is one of his favorite movies. Oh, great! Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and if, he's got a poster of it in his office. If you enjoyed uh, Howls, then you will just absolutely devour uh, Princess Mononoke. Oh, I have seen that too. Oh, okay, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, that's uh that's a and I uh, and what's the one with the with the fighter planes? Uh, uh, uh Porco Rosso. Yeah, Poco Rosso. I also yeah, saw yeah. that one recently too, and oh, I, okay. I love I loved it. That was such an odd movie. Yeah, all Studio Ghibli movies are amazing. Yeah, yeah, Hayao Miyazaki. Oh yeah. yeah. Love that the guy. master. Yeah. So, what are the threads that like uh, you know connect between Akira and sort of your own work? Like, uh, is it sort of the dystopian Japanese well, thing I, that sort of? I think at the time when I saw that, I was kind of you know half fantasy reader and half science fiction, and that's the one that just went, okay, you're a science fiction guy from now on. Like, you know, put, put the other stuff aside. You're, you're now a hardcore sci-fi guy. Um, so I started reading a lot of William Gibson and stuff like that. And uh, I really enjoyed A.A. Uh, a. Atanasio, uh, who wrote Radix and uh, mm -hmm. other stuff like that. Orson Scott Card. But I, I always preferred the sort of cyberpunk over the spacefaring sci-fi stuff. Mm. I mean, I love my Star Wars. But for reading, I really like sort of the, the gritty, earthbound sort of stuff that happens because it feels more real or plausible to me, I, I'm, maybe. So that's, that's sort of what influenced me into starting to write cyberpunk. And uh, I would definitely point directly at Akira as being one of the major influences. William Gibson is such an amazing writer. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. His, he's like, and stylistically, he just keeps getting better and better, I've noticed. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I basically I consider him like the sort of sci-fi Shakespeare, if you will, just by if just for reading his earlier stuff, like his first mm -hmm. five books. It's just so visually appealing in, in his words, you know, like uh, he's very imaged. Weirdly, I have never read William Gibson. It's a startling admission. Start from at, the beginning. Um, it's really good. Yeah, yes. it's it's okay. It's worth yeah yep. reading some of it. Yeah. Yep, yep. And don't and don't don't ignore his later stuff because some of his later stuff is really really good. Oh no, they're all good. Yeah. They're all good. Yeah. But he changes he changes uh, style. He 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 becomes oh, more yeah. narrative driven and less word choice driven, if you will. The stories are still amazing, but it's less about the words and more about the encompassing story. I think. Yeah. All right, I will do that. This podcast is basically. Giving us the to be read pile that we'll never finish. <laughs> yes, right. we, we do have to recognize oh, that because yeah. every week it's yeah. just like more stuff gets added to the pile. 
<laughs> well, because at first I was relieved, right? Because I'm like, okay, he's chosen a movie that I've already seen. I don't need to rush out and see that. Oh, William Gibson. Oh, damn. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let me just add more things onto your pile. Yeah. Maybe someday we could have William Gibson on, and then maybe we should read one of his books beforehand. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Start with Neuromancer. Yeah, that's a good That's good a choice. classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we have all these guests on who are artistic people and they've written books and whatnot. And I feel like I need to read all their books. And I know this is a common conundrum that, you know, those of us who who write have that we know so many writers, but you can't possibly read all their work. How do you guys deal with that? I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> kidding, yeah. I'm kidding. I used <laughs> to feel guilty about it, but I've I've released that because it's it's as you say, it's impossible. Yeah. So I think the way that I kind of approach it is that if it's something that genuinely I think I'm going to like, I read it. Yeah. Yeah. If, if it's in my wheelhouse. I wheel think it has to be the rule. Yeah, yeah. If it's in my wheelhouse, then I'll definitely pick up their book yeah. and, and, hey, can you sign it? And then I'll read it. And that's that's about it. And I'm, I'm pretty much all sci-fi or, or uh, sociological or, you know, like – and not a lot of my friends write sociology or psychology or, or history or stuff like that. So I'll get that from another source, but I'll get their sci-fi books basically. Yeah. The other thing right, that yeah. I will do is if someone really would like me to read their book as they're working on it, I will occasionally say, yes, I can do that for you. Right? Oh man. Do you really want to put that in a podcast? Yeah, not really. <laughs> yeah. No, I said occasionally if someone, and I did say a friend. <laughs> Didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> I'm an inch. Yeah. 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 So like, I'm not just taking anybody's manuscript because otherwise it will not get read. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. So, so, you know, everybody, Mark just said that he'll take all of your manuscripts. <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely cut that out of this episode. I don't have access to the files, but I'll find a way. <laughs> Cause I, I, I gotta be honest. Like it's a, there's a very select few friends of mine that I will read their stuff. My time is so limited yeah. that, you know, I, I want to, I got, you know, a few books that I want to read for pleasure and then my own writing and and now editing a podcast and I don't have time to read your, your no. manuscript. Yeah. Yeah. Unless your name is Jen or Tana, that's it. There you go. <laughs> all right. All you Jen and Tana's out there. <laughs> you heard it. <laughs> Oh, I, I see. I, I needed to be more specific. Spark up that web chat GPT. <laughs> the flood of gens in your inbox. Thousands of gens with their garbage manuscripts. Fortunately, maybe there, there isn't a whole lot of Tanas. I might be okay on that yeah, front. Well, uh, There's probably enough. Okay, back to Akira. Yes. What more can you tell us about Akira that uh, people might not already know? Uh I mean, it's it's a huge, huge influence on on so many people. Tons of artists. My my sister actually got me. I, you know, got me a a book. He's reaching into his bookshelf. Yeah. So this is called Otomo. It's a global tribute to the mind behind Akira, and it's like illustrations by some of the the world's most talented artists who who draw comics and manga. And as a tribute to Otomo. So, like, the guy is the OG of, of manga cyberpunk uh, in, in manga form. So it's just absolutely phenomenal. And I don't know, just the story itself is just so original. And and it's it's actually, if you if you take away 
the the action if you take away all of the the superficial stuff about it and you delve into what or who Akira is and what Tetsuo because you have to watch it all the way to the end to really understand what is going on it's not it's not a cyberpunk story it is a very very existential sort of what created the universe kind of idea Clearly, uh, watching it once, as Mark and I have done, isn't enough. Well, you should probably rewatch it with yeah. with with the ending in mind, and then going, oh, oh, I see, okay, and just pay attention to Akira and Tetsuo as he becomes something. Okay, cool. That sounds. Yeah, I I will because it's actually not unrelated to what I'm working on at the moment, so okay. I might actually get something out of it. I really appreciate actually the work that does that, you know, that, that you get to the end and then it recontextualizes everything that came before, like mm -hmm. the work of Gene Wolfe, for example, mm -hmm. you know, yep. that is written with like multiple layers. I Definitely. like that. Definitely. I love that about works. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's definitely a, a, a work of, uh, of show don't tell, you know, like it, mm -hmm. There, mm. there might be that that little bit at the end where he's kind of explaining to you what's going on, but you have to read between the lines to figure it out. Like it, it doesn't just come out and tell you, and I'm not going to tell you. Yeah, <laughs> then you'll this might out. this might be me reading between the lines, but is it possible that I'm thinking now about the graphic novel? Yep. That the graphic novel actually had a major influence in some North American and European oh, writers probably. as well, because yeah. I think about the Dark Knight Returns. And there's some stuff in that that seems very Japanese to me. Well, I mean, as for as for Japanese manga, it has, I mean, in the present time, Japanese manga in general mm -hmm. has a huge, huge influence on on stylistic sort of renderings in the in the entire world. Like I've noticed in the past five to ten years that lines and eyes of of characters have become very japanese like i mean there's yeah. still a sort of european slash north american uh touch to it but there there is definitely huge influence of of japanese uh what maybe not culture but japanese sort of uh, the illustration effect uh mm -hmm. on on all of our all of our stuff yeah, the aesthetic is, the aesthetic is, definitely, is definitely, definitely the aesthetic has definitely. definitely gone mainstream. Like, there's yep. no question that I don't think other cultures, people from other cultures, are surprised by that aesthetic the way yep. that they would have been in the '80s. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you look at a comic from the '80s, and it is not the same thing as it is today. Yeah, but that's why I was asking you about that one specific instance because to me, it did seem like there was some crossover. But oh, absolutely. I, I mean, just it, a while everything influences everything and i mean there wouldn't have been japanese anime if american studios hadn't been looking for a cheap place to get their stuff animated in the right. 1980s back in the day that was the place to get your your animation done because it was super cheap and that basically gave the opportunity for japan to become really really good at animation and that's why we have such amazing stuff today so, I mean, everything influences back and forth. And so, Otomo, he wrote the manga, and then he wrote the screenplay for the film based on the manga. Yes. Wrote the same thing, yep. and equally effective uh, doing both, mm -hmm. clearly. Yeah, we are. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I thought it was leading up to a question there, but uh, it turned into not a question. And I mean, you had me all excited. Yeah, no, <laughs> I was like, what's, what's going to happen now? Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a tough act to follow, just because it it is like the greatest, you know. And he hasn't really done anything else apart from that. I mean, he's that was my question. That's where I was going. Yeah, um, he he did a he did another movie called Steam Boy, and it was all right, um, but it wasn't. It was no Akira, and he he also did another short. He did another short uh, movie that was part of like a, a trilogy or of some sort with two other uh, two other uh, animators illustrators, and it was okay. But uh, you know, I think after Akira, like, how do you beat that? You know, like. Well, that's like uh, the people who did uh, Gone with the Wind. You know, they did this uh, amazing, spectacular film and it just took everything out of them. And then they never really had, you know, anything else to... I think that happens from time to time, doesn't it? Right. I think so, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I can imagine even if you want to create more, you might be afraid of trying something else because how could you possibly ma match, you know, what you... Yeah. I, a J.D. Salinger, I don't think applies to him. I think... I think he stopped writing for other reasons, but uh, I can imagine that in for some people writing a book like that 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 was that you know the catcher in the rye that was yeah so influential, and then going okay now what do I follow that up with? <laughs> Haunted by your own fame. Yeah, it's. I think a lot of musicians face that I uh, guess, problem yeah. with their second albums. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The whole sophomore you know, album and the yeah, sophomore. Book, I don't think and, there's a reason yeah. for that. It's like you spend years and years perfecting your craft your yeah. art and you put years into something and and it's amazing of course and then you have one year to produce the next thing <laughs> it's like okay maybe yeah. it's not going to be quite as good well th there is also the fact that like i and i know this for a fact to be true for me is like you know after i wrote my first book of the series i was like i put all my best stuff in here and then book two is like oh what what do i write about out <laughs> i'm not saying it's not as good it's just like it's totally different it's a whole different beast because i had to you know like the book one this is stuff that i've had trotting around in my head for years and years right and i'm like okay i'm yeah. gonna use this material and then you're trying to write the next book and it's like oh i gotta write something that's not exactly the same as the first book it's got to be just as fun and you know completely not the same so then there's the phenomena of, you know, an artist who produces a, a number of bodies of, of work. And we talked about this before, Mark, where, you know, how does a book become successful? And, and sometimes it's just luck, yeah. you know, yeah. that it's written at the right time. Yeah, quite often, and then it I think. Becomes, yeah. yeah, and then it becomes amazing. But it may not actually be their best work, you know, the one that becomes most popular. Right. I think of uh, Douglas Adams. Obviously, everybody loves Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe, and everybody considers that his 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 best work. Yeah. But in my opinion, his best book is Last Chance to See. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, which is an amazing book that uh, only a small, I think, uh, portion of people who've read Hitchhikers are probably even aware of that. I book. don't know that one. It's it's a nonfiction book. It's uh it's him going to see endangered species okay. around the world. Uh at the yeah. the stuff with the Komodo dragons is just hilarious. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. see that's the thing. Like it's actually like it's uh, it's important subject matter, but it's also 
unbelievably fun. It's really yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for, for me, it would probably be like uh, Kurt Vonnegut. You know, everybody raves about Breakfast of Champions and, you know, and Slaughterhouse Five. But, you know, some of my favorite books are, are not those, you know, like I really enjoyed Slapstick and, uh, you know, Cat's Cradle and that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cat's Cradle is my favorite. Right. So, yeah. you know, it's. Though, actually, I think I'm, a, I'm alone in this because I haven't heard another writer say this, but I love Time Quake. I haven't read it. His la- it's like his last novel. Okay. And I, huh. I just, I got a very sentimental attachment to that book. Okay, it's, it's worth your time anyway. Okay, Vonnegut keeps coming up in this podcast. <laughs> well, he's good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, it, he's yeah. mentioned in in our first uh, episode, and then we we devote an entire episode to him, and here he is again. Nice, nice. Okay. Any uh, any other thoughts then about um, Akira before we all go our merry ways? Uh, no, I think that it's uh, it's one of those perfect movies. It's uh, every every frame counts. Every it, it's multifaceted, and uh, every every character has their own personality and their own their own desires, and they're all doing what they think is the right thing to do. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's one of I would consider it like a really it's a perfect movie. And in terms of your work, people should start with the first book of the trilogy. You think? I recommend it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Thank you very much for being on our podcast, Recreative. Well, thank you very much for having me tonight. <laughs> lovely, 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 lovely. It was, uh, yes, absolutely. Yes, I, I forgot that we were we were going to do the podcast in those in those voices, <laughs> weren't we? And now I am so glad we didn't. Yeah, that would, that's <laughs> going to be a bit of a mess to clean up. And do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks for giving me more editing, guys. You're <laughs> All right. Thank you, Benoit. Well, thanks for inviting me. Have yourselves a great night, guys. Yeah, you, you too. Thanks, Mark. Lovely meeting you. It was a pleasure. So, Mark, you and I have discussed how people can support this podcast. And uh, one of the ways I would like to get them to support us is by, and I think you're going to like this, by uh, purchasing one of your books. Ooh, I like that. How about your books? We're going to start with your books. We'll start with my books? Okay. And today I would like to point people in particular to Alpha Max, which is a novel about the metaverse, which is kind of in vogue these days. Yeah, and it's it doesn't take a lot of the standard approaches that the metaverse stories do. I think it's a bit more grounded. It's funny, and it's uh, and it's witty, and it's smart, and it's entertaining. Go to recreative.ca slash support, and you can find our books there. Alpha Max by Mark A. Rayner. <laughs>